You're in the water loop. starting it's getting going it'll tune in okay you're in the water loop this is travis i'm really stoked to be joined by mark price ceo of firewire surfboards mark how you doing i'm well thanks travis yeah any uh any waves out your way today unfortunately it's howling onshore dirty uh, water it's just a train wreck of negative uh, nature but it'll come uh, right ah bummer bummer i'm in uh, so i live in wilmington north carolina wrightsville beach here and uh we had some uh stomach high waves today winds were pretty light so you know enough to get in the ocean and uh, and enjoy so uh, i guess i win the surf report of the day <laughs> today yeah. Um, so I wanted to, I'm really, really interested to talk to you. Um, you know, I've been surfing for a long time, but I'm not one of the person that people that's paid a lot of attention to surfboard construction and how they're built and the materials and all that. And, uh, but I'm someone that's very concerned about the environment and, and really looking to be sustainable. So um, I wanted to talk to you and hear about you know, the boards that you guys make. Uh, but I want to kind of start at ground zero, I guess. And how how have surfboards typically been made uh, in a way that's not eco-friendly? You know, what what's the, what's the model that you guys have gotten away from? Right. Well, yeah, that's a good place to start. You know, the, the shape of, of, of the modern surfboard is completely different to what it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's advanced tremendously, yet the materials are basically the same. There hasn't been a lot of progress. And one of the reasons for that is the materials used in traditional surfboards are just very easy to work with. And it's somewhat of a low margin industry with relatively small companies that are capital constrained. So you can see why they would gravitate towards materials that performed really well, make no mistake, but are also very easy to work with. Whereas some of the greener materials are a little bit more difficult to work with, have slightly higher costs associated with them. And so, you know, you've, you've got to be really committed to make that transition. Yeah. So what are what are the materials that are, you know, typically very easy to, to work with that the industry has really just relied on and, go, and gone with? Well, the two main ones are uh, polyurethane foam and polyester resin. Uh, now, polyurethane foam has a very, very tight, small cell structure, so it holds refined shapes really well. And then polyester resins, the cure times are really fast. So you can basically build a board from start to finish in a day. Mm. Whereas uh, EPS foam has a slightly larger bead structure and the epoxy resins take longer to cure unless you have some pretty technical equipment to speed up the cure times. But Though that equipment's really expensive. Yeah. So when when did uh, you all start looking at different ways to construct boards, and and what drove that decision? Well, we were fortunate because we we started with and basically what was an eco board. There was a board builder in Western Australia by the name of Bert Berger, who decided that there was a better way to make a surfboard. And he wasn't necessarily committed to sustainability per se. He just wanted to build a more durable surfboard, which is also sustainable. 
uh, and increase the performance. So he started working with a completely different mix of materials versus the traditional surfboard. And he succeeded. But being a small board builder, he then approached friends of mine and said, look, I've got this. Let's take it to market and I need your expertise and resources to commercialize it. And so I got involved at that point and then we basically took his original technology and brought it to market. And it just so happened that in a University of Brisbane study, which was done in 2005, his particular, particular recipe emitted 50 times less VOCs versus the traditional surfboard during its manufacture and over its life, and it was more durable. So we didn't have any legacy issues. We weren't one of those companies where we had to make a pivot towards more sustainable practices. We didn't exist. And so we started on the right foot, so to speak. Yeah. So was this really the, the breakthrough for the board industry? Um, was was uh, Bert, I think you said his name, and is that, is that really kind of where this this originated with was him? Well, yes and no. I mean, in the sense that there, there are a number of other small scale board build, builders who actually build even less toxic surfboards than we do, but they don't achieve scale. So I think the what we brought to the table was obviously taking Bert's recipe and by commercializing it, we helped shift the consciousness of the industry and the consumer towards less toxic surfboards. So because we did it at scale, we are considered impactful and you know and and the first so to speak but we weren't really the first we were the first to do it at scale gotcha okay um can you talk a little bit about what the negative environmental impacts are of, of, of the materials that used to be used and and the manufacturing process that used to be used and just kind of why that was not sustainable sure so the polyurethane foam and polyester resins emit far more VOCs to start versus uh, EPS and epoxy, you know, 50 times more, as I mentioned. But perhaps more dangerous are the solvents that are needed in the factory process to clean the equipment. So, for example, with uh, polyester resins, uh, acetone is commonly used to clean the equipment. And it's a known carcinogen that can be absorbed through breathing and just through the skin through contact. And you'll see these crazy respirators that a lot of shapers and laminators wear when they're working in polyester factories because of the toxicity. I mean, it literally is life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Wow. And is there also something with the uh, amount of waste maybe that comes out of the process or comes off comes off the, the manufacturing process, the boards then, that's that's kind of not a, not a good thing because that's not very sustainable to have? Yeah, so you can reduce the waste with traditional materials the same way we have with our materials, and that's ordering your raw materials to a tighter spec and then creating various upcycle opportunities with the waste materials that are generated even with that tighter spec. So, for example, one of the largest quantities of waste by volume that we create is the foam dust that's produced from taking that block of EPS foam and shaping it to the finished surfboard shape. And we densify that material using pressure and heat, and we're actually making flower pots and garden pavers out of a waste material that would have gone into a landfill. Uh, and that's reduced our waste per board by 95% over the last couple of years, along with wow. some other initiatives. Wow. Yeah, I saw when I was when I was looking at your website, I saw that I'd never seen those before, those kind of paver blocks. You can build right. a patio out of it or, or whatever, huh? Yeah. And then we also decided in 2014 to switch over 100% to bio epoxy resin, which has a, 
even less VOC emissions versus regular epoxy resin. So we've reduced the toxicity of our resins, we've reduced our waste streams, and there's various other initiatives. Uh, we capture the condensed water that leaks out of the air conditioners and run it back through the air conditioning system, and that reduces the power needed to run the air conditioners by about 30%. Um, and what's cool about it is all of these technologies and innovations, they're out there. You know, we didn't invent any of them densifiers and the cooling system I just mentioned on the air conditioning. So if you have a commitment to running a less toxic business, and I like to use that word versus sustainability, and maybe we can come back mm. to that you know, uh, later in the conversation. Um, it's there. You, know, you just have to have a commitment to it. And to be honest, you have to be willing to give up some margin because there are slightly higher costs associated with some of these materials. But if you're in your business for the really long term, then those are investments that we're willing to make. Interesting. So and there's definitely there's several questions I could go with after that. So the the business case, right? Um, yeah. The business case for it, there's there's the idea of being being a, a responsible business, doing the right thing, like you just alluded to. Um, it might cost you a little bit more to make these boards these this way, but um, there's a lot of of consumers out there that are very interested in these types of products and want to buy something that is. Um, you know, more eco-friendly, right? I and mean, that's part of that's part of the business case as well. Absolutely. You know, look, the number one objective of a business is to stay in business. And in order to do that, you have to make a certain amount of money just to to finance the operation. So we never lose sight of that. But once you get past that, you know, we believe that at some point in the future, and is it five years, ten years, twenty years? I don't know. But at some point in the future. If you aren't operating your business in the least toxic way possible for your industry and product, then you, the consumer will reject you. Now, granted, today there's only a small segment or a relatively small segment of consumers who, where that's their number one operating principle. You know, mm. what is the toxicity or lack thereof of the product and company? And that's going to be my go to decision making point. But that group is growing. And so we look at it existentially. And when that day comes, if you haven't prepared for it, you're not going to be able to pivot on a dime to address that consumer's needs, and you will potentially be out of business. So we're doing it for the right reasons because we care about the planet. But of course, we're doing it because we see it as a business imperative. Yeah, very interesting. I, I mean, I do... Um... I remember seeing you guys kind of being the first to scale this up in this space. Um, I think some other manufacturers have kind of followed the lead a little bit, right? Um, you don't have yeah. to name you don't you don't have to name names here. We don't. No, but, 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 but I think you've kind of seen the industry trend after follow after you guys, really. Well, uh, yes, and 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 I'll I'll come at it from this angle. There's an organization called Sustainable Surf. And they have what's called an eco board certification, which is similar to the lead certification in architecture. So when we switched to bioresin in 2014, 100% of our production became eco board certified. We've heard stories of our competitors' customers coming because people are often brand loyal, and they're coming into surf shops saying, "Hey, I want an eco board from this brand or that brand," and we were stoked to hear that. Of course, we'd prefer if they bought our boards. But <laughs> if you really care about sustainability and care about the environment, then you want the entire industry to tip. You know, we can only do so much within the scope of the boards we build and the customers we sell to. 
And so when we hear stories of other companies following suit for whatever reason, it's very gratifying. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Um, you mentioned that you like to use this word about less, talk about the toxicity being less toxic instead of talking about sustainability. What, where's that come from? Well, you know, sustainable, sustainability can mean any number of things depending on who you're talking to. So, I mean, if you're talking to a CPA, sustainability will be positive cash flow so we can get from one quarter to the next. Um, if you're talking to a committed environmentalist who believes, which I do sometimes, most times, <laughs> that we're on a collision course with hell if we don't change our ways, yeah. then, you know, your view of what's, what sustainability means would be, you know, maybe con considered extreme from someone who just wants to live a slightly greener life. Um, and so it, it, it can and it can become this sort of uh, like organic, you know, in the food industry, organic has become, I wouldn't say meaningless, but it's been diluted to the point where no one's quite sure what the differentiating factor is when something's labeled organic versus not. And so sustainability, it can be used in, in a greenwash way where you can just throw it out there and it has this sort of proxy meaning to it that, hey, we're doing the right thing. I think you've got to dig a little deeper. And to be a little bit more aggressive in, in commenting about it, we're not sustainable. Our surfboards are still toxic. They still go into landfills. And when I look at sustainability in its purest sense, it's cradle to cradle. It's no virgin inputs whatsoever. And the absolute minimal carbon footprint achievable. And we're a long way away from that. So we like to say that we're absolutely committed to reducing the toxicity of the, of the modern surfboard and we're going to take it as far as we can go. I like that. As a, as a communications person myself, I can understand that you're using words that are more precise, that actually ha have a definition and, and people can understand what you're talking about, whereas sustainable is very broad and vague. That, ma that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned the EcoBoard <laughs> rating uh, piece, and I think you have boards that kind of have different levels of rating, right? Correct. Um, could you could you talk about what those levels are and and how a board you know fits into either one of the categories? Yeah. So what's this, when when Sustainable Surf first launched, they had one category, eco board, and it had about a thirty percent reduction in CO two emissions versus a traditionally built surfboard. And any surfboard that met or exceeded that benchmark would be labeled an eco board. But as the concept took hold, and as companies like ourselves pushed the envelope further. We started reducing the toxicity to where it was demonstrably higher than the 30%. Mm. And so they came out with the gold level certification for boards that, and I forgive me, but I don't recall off the top of my head what the percentage reduction is, but mm -hmm. it's significantly greater than 30%. And our TimberTech technology, which is one of the builds that we offer, qualifies for that gold level standard. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with those boards you guys have. So is there a way you could explain uh, statistically or percentage-wise maybe how that, that TimberTech is different from your other, you know, your other models? You know, I, again, I would have to figure out what, or remember or research what the <laughs> actual percentage difference is. I mean, I can tell you what the raw material mix is. You know, so yeah. the main difference between the TimberTech and our other builds is because of the strength of the wood skin that we use on TimberTech. So it's basically got a foam core which has a wood, a three millimeter wood skin around it. That wood is sustained, certified sustainably sourced polonia wood. 
So we can check that box in terms of the supply chain integrity. But because of the strength of that skin, we're able to use less resin and cloth in the lamination process versus our other technologies. So the reduction in the CO2 emissions comes about because there's less resin and cloth used in that particular build versus the helium and LFT technologies, which are the other two that we use. What the exact percentage difference is, again, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's a great that's a yeah. great explanation of, of how it's the, the material is different. That's that's key. OK, um, I, I do want to hear a little bit more because you mentioned it a few times about durability um, and and so I'd like to hear about the durability of of, you know, your boards, uh, these less toxic boards and also, you know, tied into that performance. You know, right. um, I, I think. There's not really a difference, right, in, in performance of these boards or, yeah, comment on that stuff. Well, performance is a little bit like beauty and it's in the eye of the beholder depending on what you're looking for. So we're going to make the claim that we have higher performance and I'm sure there's an individual out there that would ride one of our boards and say, ah, it feels the same as what I'm currently riding. So be it. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, um, if you've ever looked at a traditionally built surfboard after six, nine, 12 months, the deck has significant dents in it. And that's just based on the fact that the, the, the build, the structural integrity of the build is X. And as a result, after about a year, the materials have fatigued a lot because they've dented and bent and, and, and have come under tremendous strain. And the, aesthetically, the board is not that pleasing. So oftentimes, uh, someone who buys a PU board will replace it prematurely because it looks mm. beat up. <laughs> um, and it may well be performance-wise, but certainly aesthetically, it's beat up. And then it goes all the way down the sort of business model where you don't get much, many dollars for it as a trade-in or to sell. And oftentimes, it just sits in your garage until you decide to fire sale at, you know, when you do a yard sale. So the sort of business model doesn't um, create a a prolonged period of use for a traditionally built surfboard. Now, if you want to make a traditionally built surfboard very strong, you can, but then you're going to add a ton of weight. So you've got this paradigm, this box that you're stuck in where you want to increase the durability, you're going to decrease the performance because you're going to make the board much heavier. Mm-hmm. If you want to increase the performance, you're going to make it much lighter, which is what a lot of the pro surfers ride, but they're not paying for their boards. <laughs> and then it doesn't last. So we use what's called sandwich construction. And it's literally a sandwich. And what that enables us to do, we can use a very lightweight core foam because its only purpose is to create flotation. It doesn't have to have much structural integrity. And then we encase that interior foam with aerospace composites, or in the case of TimberTech, the three millimeter wood that goes around it. So you get the best of both worlds. You get a lightweight structure that has far greater durability, compression strength, than a single density traditionally built surfboard. And you can break out of that paradigm where less weight automatically means less strength. Yeah. I was uh, I was at one of the local shops a few days ago here and um, you know grabbed one of your uh, Chumley uh, mm. models and I was just I, it was just so light it was it was crazy to me how light that that board is and that's a high volume board too yeah I mean, yeah it's pretty chunky it, yeah it is it yeah. definitely is um, um, and I guess uh, kind of segueing to a different area here and what underscores the the performance of of your boards are the guys you have and the girls you have that are riding them right um, and right. that that are part of your um, part of your your company and and 
you work with. Um, and I, I definitely wanted to to hear about that. I mean, a couple of high profile people like Kelly Slater, Rob Machado, um, you know, for them to be for them to be using these boards and working with you guys speaks volumes. It does, because look, at the end of the day, we are making sporting goods equipment. And uh, even though the average surfer doesn't perform at that level, they aspire to. And they'd like to know that if they ever got good enough, they, they, the equipment would allow them to get to that level. You know, <laughs> and so it's an aspirational you know, connection in that regard. And, and you know, world title events, uh, a world title hasn't been won on our equipment, but only one is won a year you know, in terms of the world champion. But individual events in pursuit of a world title have been won on our equipment. And there's no way we would be where we are today if those top pros, and I go back to Taj Burrow when we first launched, hadn't embraced the technology and shown the average surfer that not only is this a completely different build to what you're used to, but it rides as good, if not better. And that was a, a real watershed moment for us, actually, in the history of the company when Taj came on board and endorsed the technology. And it really elevated our business almost overnight. And yeah. then to your point, you know, guys like Kelly and Rob have taken it to the next level since then. Yeah, um, I, I was hoping you could build on that a little bit because I guess I that I've seen Rob mostly uh, affiliated with Firewire and whatever and social media or things I've read or whatever. Uh, he seems just like a really great ambassador for uh, for what you're doing. Yeah, well, I would put Rob and Kelly in the same bucket when it comes to that role because both of them care passionately about the environment. I mean, Rob is very involved with the surf rider and surf aid, and as is Kelly. And, and if you're familiar with Out of Know and the clothing company that Kelly started with, with some friends and partners of his, they have a massive commitment to, you know, the least toxic ways of doing business possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to have the, the athleticism, athlete, <laughs> <gobbled> that word, <laughs> to have the, the, you know, surfing ability associated with our product to the point I made earlier about the endorsement, but to have guys who also care about the sustainability side of our business, that's key for us because we care about it so deeply. So it's a nice fit on, on, in terms of the brand DNA in, in its entirety. Yeah. And, you know, Kelly has his line of boards now, right? Um, are, yeah. They're, they're made in the same, same way. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, look, the, Kelly's boards that he competes on the world tour on are slightly different in the sense that they don't have a deck skin. Uh, but the EPS foam, the high density stringer that goes down the middle to control the flex, the epoxy resins, uh, you know, are all identical. And he just likes a slight tweak hmm. uh, for various reasons. Whereas Rob Machado's boards, the boards you see him riding are stock builds. They are literally, and all those boards are built in in the same factory. I mean, Kelly might get a few boards built uh, locally here and there when we need a fast turn, um, but the vast majority of our team boards are built in the same factory where the stock boards are made. Yeah. One of the other products I saw uh, that interested me is, you know, the the traction pad there that is uh, got its roots in algae, right? Yeah. Um, I, I definitely wanted to hear about how that is a less toxic. I won't use more sustainable. You're changing, you're changing my words already and for, for the good. Um, but how, how that's made in a less toxic way. What's that product all about? Well, just to digress for a second, you know, one of the cool things for us is we're open source. And now that we've generated a reputation for caring about these types of issues, people come to us. So Bloom Foam approached us about three or four years ago 
And they had developed a process where they would skim the algae, the toxic algae that would grow on the surfaces of rivers and lakes and choke the oxygen and kill the fish. So they would literally scrape it off the surface of the water. They would desiccate it, pulverize it, and then mix it with the other traction pad materials to create a composite that had a certain percentage of algae in it, which would then reduce the overall toxicity of that traction material versus traditional traction pads. So it's a similar story to what we did with the bioresin and the EPS foam, where you're using similar materials, but you're tweaking them slightly to reduce the, the, you know, the carbon footprint. Yeah, very, very interesting. And how long has that been out, uh, those pads been out for sale? A few years? Three years now, and okay. they're actually doing very well because, again, if you can equal or, or exceed the performance of existing materials but with less toxicity, I think the, the consumer gravitates towards that. Yeah. Um, what about on uh, the other front? Are there any other other products you guys have that are that are less toxic? Anything with uh, <laughs> leashes or anything like that? Yeah, we have a leash and another out, uh, open source product. You know, this um, no, Swedish surfer decided that we could make a less toxic leash, and he used a twenty percent recycled EVA. I'm sorry, urethane in the cord. He used PET uh, filament, which is a nylon filament created from plastic, recycling plastic bottles. Hmm. So the webbing and the cuff are made from that material. Even the threads that are used on the label, the Slater Designs label, are from recycled content. And then he used Ulex, which is the Patagonia wetsuit rubber on the inside of the cuff. <clears throat> and the combined result, again, was a, a, a similar product to what's out there, but with less toxicity and equal or better performance. And it worked, you know, people, as I said, gravitate towards that. People like to do the right thing if you give them the opportunity. And at the same time, you can't charge an excessive premium. You know, people don't want to be paying through the nose to be green. Sure. So um, what's what's next? I think you guys have the mindset where you're always looking for ways that you can improve, um, new new ways to produce these products, new materials to use. Um Anything, anything coming up or, or what do you see as like the next challenge or hurdle to get over in making, you know, boards and all the accessories less toxic? Oh, well, a couple of things. We are launching a new technology in the middle of this year called Woolite. And this was another open source project where a very talented New Zealand board builder by the name of Paul Barron figured out a way to replace fiberglass with sheep's wool. Huh. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. It's pretty crazy. And it's not the woven wool that you'd make a suit out of. It's, it's not completely raw sheared wool. There is a slight processing to it, which has some intellectual property associated with it. But it's, it's pretty low energy in terms of creating the material. And obviously, it's sustainable because every six months, the sheep have to be sheared. <laughs> and in this particular case, we're working with a very small New Zealand co-op called uh, NZ Merino, who run these farms on a sustainable model. They literally audit the farms. There's only so many sheep per hectare that are allowed on the farm. There's certain animal welfare protocols that have to be in place because the whole factory farming thing is, is a pretty nasty business and we didn't want any part of that. But we're completely satisfied having, I've gone down there twice now and visited the farm, spoken to the farmers, and we're confident that it's a transparent and very sustainable business model that they're running down there in the way that the sheep are raised. But anyway, it's a super unique 
uh, evolution of circled construction where you're replacing the fiberglass with the wool. And I think the, the next big step forward will be fully recyclable and or biodegradable foams. Now, you can already get partially recycled content foam. And so you can get EPS with 20% recycled content, which we use in the TimberTech boards, which also helps that gold standard certification. But ultimately, you want to get to the point where you have a completely recyclable, reusable, compostable foam core. And that would be a huge step up. And there's some very interesting innovations going on right now that aren't yet market ready, but one of them's going to be. Yeah. And that's going to be an exciting day when that comes to market. Yeah. I mean, technology is just making all kinds of things possible. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I wanted to to kind of close by asking you about uh, something you mentioned before about some of the foundations, some of the non- nonprofits out there that, you know, do good work that I notice that Firewire, su- you know, supports and partners with and works with like Surfrider Foundation and others. Um, could you talk a little bit about why you guys uh, why you guys do that? Well, you know, if you if you care about the planet and the environment, uh, by association, you probably care about the people too. Um, and so we we say, you know, people, uh, what's the people, profit, and purpose. You know, those are the three things that really drive our business. And profit has to be in there because, as I mentioned, you know, it is a, a business, and we want to stay in business. And purpose comes down to the way in which we build our boards and the commitment we have to reducing the toxicity. And then there's the people. And so to your point, you know, we're one of the largest surf industry contributors to Surf Rider, which is quite an indictment, actually, of the surf industry, given how small we are. And we Mm. don't get that much money. So they could use a lot more support. We also support Surf Aid, as you mentioned, share the Stoke Foundation. We give them 100 surfboards a year. And they go into second and third world countries and they go into the villages and they talk to the teachers and the, and the mayor and they find out which kids are the most deserving and they give them surfboards and teach them how to surf. It's, it's a, an amazing organization. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Surfers Against Sewage is another one we support. And yeah, we'll also be fair trade certified uh, in 2020. We'll be the only surfboard factory in the world. So it's not just about caring about people outside of our business. We care about the people inside of our business as well, because the fair trade certification is quite a rigorous protocol that you have to go through and standards you have to meet because we own and operate our own factory. So it's important to us that our staff work in the, in the optimized environment. And in fact, last year, if you take all of those initiatives and you added them together, it was about 5% of our net profit after tax. Yeah. Well, that's not, that's not a small uh, slice of that, of that pie then at all. It's not. But again, you know, if you're in for the really long term, you've got to build your business on the right principles. And we feel that uh, we're trying to do that. And we're just we, we're literally trying to do the right thing. We've got a hell of a long way to go. But I think we've also made some important steps to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, I, uh, I was really looking forward to talking to you and, and I, I learned a lot myself. Um, look forward to sharing this with folks and I, I appreciate your time. Definitely. Oh, thanks, Travis. I enjoyed it as well. Okay, I am just stopping. The- You're in the water loop. Water loop, water loop, water loop.